Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And check out my weekly fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com, which are always posted first thing Tuesday morning, if not late Monday night. And joining me now is Rudy Gamble, the co-founder of the wonderful multi-sport fantasy site Razball and the man in charge of all the projections and tools at that outstanding site. And let me tell you, there are so many different rabbit holes to go down on Razball. Rudy was kind enough to give me a backstage tour of the site and subscribers really get their money's worth. Find Rudy on Twitter at Rudy Gamble and be sure to check out Razball.com. Greetings, Rudy. Great to have you here. Oh, thanks for the wonderful intro. I, I, I feel I feel tingly. I feel special. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, before we dive into football and other matters, Rudy, you have one of the very best Twitter avatars in the fantasy biz. And as a man of a certain age who grew up loving baseball, I can certainly appreciate it. But I wonder if some of your younger followers or maybe a prospective young follower who hears you on this show and goes to check out your Twitter account. I wonder if these people understand what your avatar is all about. Can you explain? Yeah, no, and I don't think anyone knows the full extent of it. So, um, so yeah, so the Rudy, so there's two play, two of my favorite players growing up from a baseball card standpoint. Cause yeah, when you're li- when you're like less than 10, so much is driven by like baseball cards. And the two guys I liked were Oscar Gamble, um, and he's grown up a young Yankee fan. Oscar Gamble and this guy Rudy May. Um, so Oscar Gamble still st- ha- is like a legend because he had this awesome afro, and I had I had a Jufro. So we, you know, I, I did have that in common with him. Nothing else because he was a cool motherfucker and I was not. Um, but um, I mean. It, yeah, my, my fro is just like, just ungod like ungodly, and his was like meant for playing the field. And I'm not talking about the kind where you're wearing a glove. Um, he is a DH in that in that regard. But um, so I, so I got so I basically combined the gamble afro with Rudy May's face, and no one ever figures out it's Rudy May's face. Um, and yeah, and he was like, but. As a player, he was like the opposite of Oscar Gamble. I mean, he's got, yeah, you know, a face for radio. A great, I mean, but he was a is actually a quite like a very good pitcher, like a surprisingly good pitcher if you look at his stats for a guy that no one's ever heard of. Um, but yeah, so the mashup of the two, it's Rudy Rudy May's face, Oscar Gamble's afro, and Rudy May was a terrific. Uh, in an understated way, starter for the Yankees for many years. Uh, but yeah, just highlighting the magnificence of Oscar Gamble's Afro, just, you know, one of the all timers, I, I think even more iconic uh, than Dr. J or artist Gilmore, because those guys were known for their ability too. like, right. I mean, Oscar was a good hitter. Oscar was a good player, but like Oscar is known for the Afro more than his actual career. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he ended up with 200 homers on the dot, and he actually had a pretty good on base percentage. But I, I'd say, like, for younger baseball fans, for like, you'd say, like, he was a little like a Matt Stairs. He's basically, he was kind of just a lefty masher, like a left handed masher. Um, but yeah, he had solid power, 
like he, he probably he'd he'd be more um he'd he'd be better placed in this era. Like Tampa Bay would be like, oh yeah, we're gonna have him. He'll only start against righty. <laughs> yes, and th- th- it's pretty much that was his role though. Even even when in his prime, like he he never really got more than like 500 plate appearances. But he, but yeah, he hit for power and like so he was perfect as a Yankee. You know they'd bring him in and yeah go for the short porch. Um and yeah yeah I mean so he, he his legends only grown I think with the internet. But it's like I feel like it could have even been. But I mean I wish he had like one year where he really entered the consciousness like he had like a 40 homer year you know like there's always those random guys the 80s were a time for random guys like ben ogilvy you know to get a share of uh, who i grew up with milwaukee yeah i mean like he had like a random one or two years where he hit like 40 like he became like a big homer hitter and like oscar gamble never had that year i think he had one in the 70s that was in the realm but like i would have loved it if like yeah, nineteen like one of those uh, baseball cards with like four or five squares, like maybe in '81 if he could have had like 22 homers, like Bobby Gritch and Dwight Evans, and gotten his face in that in one of those baseball cards. But say love, love, love that you brought up Ben Ben Oglevy, man. I mean, like insane power for a guy who was so pencil thin. Like he was one of the skinniest guys. I have no idea where he got the power and. He was without a doubt, even this many years later, you know, Ben Ogilvy's heyday was like late seventies, early eighties. He was the absolute worst slider who has <laughs> ever played baseball. He could not slide. He just had no idea how to do it. And it was just amazing that he never injured himself because his slides were just car wrecks, man. It was it was horrible. That is funny. And not in like a Hal McCray, not in a Hal McCray way that went basically out to like just kill the guy, kill the the second baseman. Yeah, no, it was there was there was no malice intended for anyone else except himself. I mean, he did more damage to himself than anyone else. Uh, so your lesson on baseball history today, kids, and um, I guess while we're on baseball, before we turn to football, Rudy, Rasball is just this phenomenal resource for both fantasy football and fantasy baseball. Is this just a crazy time of year for you since you're a multi-sport guy? I mean, not I mean, only is the the fantasy football season in full swing, but I know there's already this demand for early 2021 baseball projections and, and, and probably basketball. especially tricky business and basketball. That's yeah, right. It's, uh, um, so are you just insanely busy? Uh, well, I mean, it used to be baseball and football were perfect companions. Um you know, with August being the toughest time, but I feel like it's happened in baseball and football, uh, partially because of best ball, partially because of dynasty where like now I'd say like, I I view like the baseball season being January to October and it's starting to bleed into December, you know, for the desire for preseason rankings, projections, things like that. And NFL is like in my, uh, in my eyes, I mean, others see as 12 month a year thing, you know, right after the NFL draft, if you don't care about the NFL draft, if you just care about once the guys are on teams, it's literally the NFL drafts over. That's the beginning of projection season. And then you're going until like the Super Bowl. So like they bleed into each other pretty bad. Um, the worst time though is uh, July and August and trying to bat- you know, you're in the middle of baseball season and so many guys are getting injured and so much churn and getting into football. 
Um, so it's definitely been harder to, to not burn out uh, in July, August, September. Now that I, once I've been involved in football and every year I get more into football. Yeah, I can imagine that because uh, like you said, with the churn in baseball, like so many of these, these, yeah, like some of them are, are good prospects, but there are a lot of randos who come up, especially pitchers. And to yeah. try to stay on top of that when you're getting like these, you know, a dozen or more new guys who are just completely unfamiliar thrown into the mix every week and you have to stay on top of that on yeah in and that's why yeah corralling um, all the nfl stuff right i mean the, the good thing is that i think baseball lends itself more for automation than football i mean football weekly and even preseason takes a lot of i'm starting from a model but i'm constantly making tweaks because based on role news all that stuff baseball you know i've got highly automated and work, partner with a really good guy, um, really good guys in, at Steamer um, for some really like behind the scenes underlying skill sets. So baseball ter- baseball is a little bit more automated than football, um, which helps because um, yeah, football football is really hard to do unless you're uh, really invested. Yeah, very true. Um... Well, 2020 has been kind of a strange year in a lot of ways, so I guess it should come as no surprise that Taysom Hill dominated fantasy football conversation in week 11 of the 2020 season. And he delivered. So he makes his first – he did, making his first start in place of the injured Drew Brees, uh, 18 of 23 passing for 233 yards, no touchdown passes or interceptions, but he really paid dividends as a runner with 51 rushing yards and two TD runs. What sort of value, Rudy, do you think Hill has going forward? And approximately where do you anticipate ranking him for his Week 12 matchup against the Broncos? Yeah, no, I think um, he came – Yeah, I had him around where he finished this week, but that was partially because I hedged as well as – I mean, some may have hedged as well – on his playing time. Like I had him at like 75% of the snaps just because I didn't fully trust Winston wouldn't get some playing time. Um, But I've got him right now for Denver as being QB 22 and looking at the next three weeks, him in this QB 17 to 22 range. um, I mean, the challenge looking at him is that they're going to, I have them projected as one of the most run heavy teams during the stretch. I mean, that was definitely an adjustment I made after Breeze went out. That's going to hurt his passing volume. I mean, you mentioned he only threw 23 times or so. Um, you know, he's not going to have a 10 yard per attempt average going forward. That's going to be a lot closer to seven. So you're going to, you're missing out on the volume, which makes him, and I think the other thing with him, he's not really a scrambler type. He's kind of more of a designated run type. There's when you watch him run, it's not the same as watching Lamar Jackson. Um, it's you know, like I think if you give him a hole, I mean, he's got really good top end speed. You know, really good at breaking tackles. Um, you know, but um, I feel like the way he is, his upside super dependent on rush and pass touchdowns more so than any player um, in any quarterback going forward. Um, it broke well for him in 11 with the two pass, two rushing touchdowns, but you've got Kamara and Murray that could both do that. Um, so 
yeah, I kind of have him as like a low QB two. <laughs> yeah, that's so. A lot of people are probably going to think that's like super overly conservative with him, but it it is as you said. I don't think we can count on ten yards per attempt, especially when I think his college YPA at BYU was like six point seven or something like that. Like it wasn't even at the seven level, um, you know. And, and as opposing defenses get a little more of him on film, maybe it becomes a little easier to stop, at least with the passing. Um, what, what sort of what what do you think we should make of Michael Thomas? Uh, with Taysom Hill at quarterback. I mean, I had been panicky about where Thomas was going to fall with this run first quarterback in there. And then, you know, rather than being a drag on Michael Thomas's value, he'll actually pumped it up by locking in on Thomas to a much greater degree than breeze had the previous two weeks. So um, I don't know where you, where are you on Thomas the rest of the season? I've got him right around wide receiver 20. Um, I mean, you know, it'll be interesting once I've got week 11 loaded in because week 11, you know, I feel like that sets a new baseline. Um, But I mean, you're talking about probably the lowest pass volume of any team going, you know, for the next three, four weeks. Um, I mean, it, it seems like he's back from the high ankle sprain. Which which cast a shadow on previous weeks, um, and you know obviously he's a, was a little bit in the doghouse for uh, the the shenanigans in the uh, in practice. But um, I mean I th- I think you could I mean I'm expecting at this point super high shares like he's like he's had the last year or two. But I mean the touchdown it's hard to bank on any touchdowns given this this team will probably have the a heavy rush skew on their touchdowns. So you're going on pure volume. He's not a big yards per, he's not a big downfield threat. Um, even with, you know, with breeze. So yeah, wide receiver 20. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Um, so Thomas was good in Hill's first game as the starter, but Alvin Kamara had zero catches in a game for the first time in his NFL career. He did have a rushing touchdown that sort of, uh, propped him up for the week, but um, I don't know. Obviously, he's a must start. But how concerned would you be about the Taysom effect if you had Kamara on your roster? Yeah, welcome to 2020, Kamara owners. You, you've been like <laughs> you've, been, you've been exempt from the hell that was the first round, um, and now now you're kind of feeling some of the at least a little bit of that agita. Um, it's concerning. I mean, I feel like it's a cat mouse game with Peyton. Um, and you know, maybe he figured Atlanta would go all in to stop the safe screen passes and they took advantage of it by throwing to the wide receivers. But I mean, in general, running quarterbacks aren't a good mix with screen passes. I mean, we've seen it with guys like Tyrod. Um, and I mean, the, 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 the two best screen passers are by far breeze and rivers who have absolutely no mobility. Um, so I feel like when you have a running quarterback, it's your best bet is to leverage that to throw over the linebackers. Um, you know, preferably maybe super deep passes. I mean, that's always been a great mix. Um, but even just getting it, you know, taking advantage of linebackers being close to the closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, so I do think Hill hurts Kamara's ceiling in two ways. One, 
less red zone rushes because where it used to be Hill would Bogart them occasionally, now he's going to be always be on the field for him. So you've got you've got him taking away more red zone touchdown runs like he did this Sunday. And then yeah, I think that the ceiling on I don't I don't see the ten target games coming with Ty- with Hill. I think we have to scale back a little bit on there. So yeah, I think it's going to be uh, a little tougher for Kamara. Um, yeah, and when you were when you were talking about the the dual pronged uh, drain on Kamara's value, was the other one just the fact that Hill at quarterback is going to bring more linebackers into the box and and maybe lower the rushing think, efficiency yeah. for Kamara? I think lower targets. I mean, I, I just don't think because I, I and it, it very well could be there. There's a certain skill to the screen game that maybe. Like to do an excellent, be an excellent screen passer, like Rivers and Breeze. I there, there might, there. I'm postulating there might be something to it more than that. Um, that maybe Hill shouldn't. We shouldn't expect him to be as good as Breeze on. So I do think, yeah, Kamara. I think his target ceiling's lower, um, based on you know for volume and just pass mix differences and less red zone touches. Um, so yeah, it does make things a little dicier for Kamara. Um, and I, would be uh, surprised if he's, ju- yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if to have him outside the top three going, you know, on a week to week basis with Hill, with Hill there. And he was just so planted in that top two every week with, uh, you know, him and cook, you know, maybe Henry was in the conversation in a given week, but, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's having those extra linebackers in. And generally, I think it's a good thing if you uh, have a dangerous read option quarterback like Lamar Jackson or, uh, you know, like we saw with Robert RG3 in his, yeah, Griffin in his first year, um, it, like that dramatically increased the efficiency of running backs. We saw it with Ingram. We saw it with, uh, what, Alfred Morris in RG3's rookie year, but uh, that's not really the offense that the Saints were running yesterday. So w- what was your take on the big brouhaha this past week about Hill being granted tight end eligibility in ESPN League? Uh, I mean, I don't, th- I, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, I, I'm used to it in MLB where you set a position in the preseason. Um, and I mean, Hill is just so unique. So I've, I didn't think there was that much anger against him being a tight end to start the season. And then once you've, once you've got, get it in the preseason, you don't lose it. Um, and then you could earn new positions if you, if it changed up. So in my eyes, um, this was always a known outcome with Taysom that, I mean, we all joked about it. Um, I mean, I didn't really joke that much about it, but uh, everyone else joked about it. Yeah. There's a chance Taysom becomes the starter. That you knew that when you drafted Taysom, and he's been pretty gross. I think he hasn't been an ideal tight end. <laughs> it was, you know, like so, right. I, you know, like so. Yeah, I feel like this is the payoff for it. I, I'm so I'm totally fine with it. I don't mind a little chaos um, as long as everyone knew it from the start, and they did. It was known he was a tight end, so I would never, I wouldn't take it away. Um, but yeah, I, I could probably do without the tweets on it. Like it's it's been said. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, yes. come up with uh, something original. People always, you know, like I imagine people always wondering, like, why does why is like why are you so statty and yet almost all your tweets are jokes? And it's like, 
because I don't want to say the same thing 400 other people said. <laughs> it's already been said. Like, what and am I, I going to say about Taysom? If I if I if I thought yeah. he was like a QB five this week, I would have said something if I really thought an extreme fade or an extreme, um, you know, I don't know what's what do you say the opposite of a fade? Bull fade. Um, y- yeah, I don't know if we've ever come up with a good. I word can't say buy. You can't say buy. Um, you can't. So you got an anti fade. Um, you know, a fro. The um, so yeah, I thought. Um, you know, but uh, but the rally was uh, I just couldn't sign him up for what I typically would put in is like ninety nine percent of snaps, right? And and that's yeah, that's why I sort of uh, I ticked him down a couple of spots at the end because I wasn't sure about that the, the Winston factor. Same here, um, but but yeah, like I think those of us with a fantasy baseball background were probably less offended by the positional thing because we see this every year with guys like. I don't know who'd be a good example, like Kyle Schwarber coming up as a catcher and being granted that maybe one he year. gets plays the most games. Yeah. And that, so the next year when he's, you know, about to have a bigger impact in the offense while the game he played or the position where he appeared most the year before was a catcher. So that's where he, you know, automatically gets eligibility and it seems unfair because he's, you know, maybe a, a significant potential contributor at a position where, those guys are are pretty scarce. Um, I get it, but it was. I I do feel bad for the commissioners who had to deal with angry people, and and you know, all I would say is that look, the platform has it this way. I don't think commissioners should be unilaterally acting to change that up. You know, like what the platform says goes. If you want to be mad at the platform, fine. Don't be mad at your commissioner. That's my. Take yeah, on. and uh, yeah, I mean, be bad at ESPN. I mean, like everyone's mad at them for some reason. I, I'm not, but, <laughs> it's but so many people are yeah, mad at them. I don't think I know, and it'll I'd be like interesting to... to see what they do. I mean, I they might rescind that tight end eligibility this year. Yeah, or that this would, week. I know that. So it'll be it'll be something that four thousand people tweet about in completely unoriginal ways. <laughs> no. <laughs> No question. No question. Uh, well, the other big news from week 11 was Bengals QB Joe Burrow tearing his ACL. Uh, Burrow, of course, was the number one pick in this year's draft and became the Bengals starter on day one. What were your early impressions of him before the injury, Rudy? Are you convinced that he'll be a star or was his rookie season merely just a promising start uh, up until the injury? Yeah, I mean... I mean, yeah. First off, it. I mean, this definitely sucks for Joe Burrow at his age. I mean, if it if this kind of thing happened to a teenager like Sam Darnold, it'd be different. But for this to happen to you know an elder statesman like Joe Burrow, sorry, uh, that was just a play on the whole Sam Darnold so young, um, and that Joe Burrow's so old. Um, take um, age doesn't matter. It's a stupid take. Anyway, um, I. I I kind of just saw it as a promising start for Burrow. I mean, it's, you know, I think being okay your rookie year, you know, being at league average and getting a ton of reps is a great start. Um, I mean, we know the offensive line is a joke in Cincy. Um, you know, the the other, the skilled players there are solid. Maybe that's not your, maybe it's not your ideal mix there. Maybe you'd have, uh, you know, it does seem like, a healthy John Ross would have been a nice 
compliment to Boyd and, I, and Higgins, but um, you know, what can you do? I think uh, so. I mean, I felt like things were looking up, but you know, generally, I'd say if you're thinking star, they flash earlier or have like maybe insane wheels like Kyler Murray. Um, so I felt like he was on a trajectory for being very good, you know, like a draftable quarterback, but, but not, not, not top tier um, where I think one rookie has kind of flashed that type of potential this year. Yeah. Let's talk about that guy right away. Uh, well, well, first of all, let me just, have you, are you now going to abandon any hope of Tyler Boyd and T Higgins being startable most weeks is all hope lost for those guys with Ryan Finley at quarterback. I mean, it's not good. I mean, I think um, we could, I'm assuming since he's going to pass a lot given where their game script's going to be and Zach Taylor, that's, that's his MO. Um, I'd say, I'd say they're like flexes at this point. Um, I mean that what happens and what I see like in my model is that like, you know, once, you know, like they're already a low scoring team. They, their, their implied points per week were never really, were always below average. I felt like, um, you know, and, and now, and that was with a competent quarterback. So you, you know, take it a while, guess everything neutral. I would think Cincinnati's got going to have the lowest projected points probably of any team going forward. So that you take that out of the equation. I mean, it takes a lot of air out of, out of, uh, it, it's really hard to be a, a starting wide receiver and, and be that um, brutal in touchdown expectations. So I'd say flexes at this point um, based on volume, but it's not great. Yeah. And at least they had been uh, one of the more pass heavy teams in the league, and they're probably not going to turn completely around and, and become super run heavy even with Finley, who's certainly not going to be good. Maybe, maybe just the pure volume could buoy those guys a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's pretty depressing. If I wish they kept Higgins. Jeff, I know. I wish they kept Jeff Driscoll. I, I, I love, right? I like my competence backup and he's scary with the leg. I mean, like I, yeah, I, I think Jeff Driscoll is like the perfect backup quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, certainly like a wide range of outcome in any given week, but like a guy who can go off, you know? That's all you want. I mean, like, unless you've got like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it it was so fun for fantasy. I I definitely spiked on him like once or twice uh, when he was in Detroit. Um, Yeah, so I think since he should have kept him, yeah, Ryan Finley. I mean, I get the gamble there, but no pun intended, but the uh, doesn't look good. On, uh, on Finley, those fourth round quarterbacks, it's almost always a flop. I mean, I, I feel like so, Prescott's, uh, the, Prescott's the complete anomaly, but everyone thinks they're a little smart. The Giants were doing it like a couple years in a row with, uh, there's a guy from Syracuse, Nasib, and. Uh, right, trying to, Ryan Nasib and. Uh, Laletta. They did Kyle from. Laletta, exactly. I mean, none of those, it's like. Um, yeah, it, it worked for New England, I guess. They were able occasionally to parlay a, cas- a castle and a Hoyer and, you know, those guys and sometimes trade them up, but really doesn't work. Yeah, even even they ran into the occasional, like, Michael Bishop or uh, I forget who some of the other... Well, they Yeah, Brissett was like a third. 
Yeah, Brissette ended up working out really well. Um, and he was like a third round pick. And also from, I think he went to the same school as Finley. Was Finley uh, a uh, North Carolina State guy? Or is he North? Oh. Uh, it's it around that area. Maybe it was North, it was North Carolina or North Carolina State, I want to say. Um, and I mean, that there have been some great ones out of there. You know, uh, Wilson Wilson was there before a cup of coffee in uh, Madison and uh, and Rivers. Oh well, so Wilson cleared out for Mike Glennon, like that was who oh, North Carolina I, State wanted to be. How did I forget? How did I forget three great quarterbacks, three quarterbacks who commanded ten plus million dollar contracts, and and Glennon stands head and shoulders above those two. <laughs> Based purely, based purely on height. <laughs> <laughs> Unmetaphorically speaking, he stands head and shoulders above those two quarterbacks. So the, the the guy we were alluding to before is the guy who is like top dog in this rookie class. Obviously, uh, Justin Herbert. So far, through nine games, he is fifth among all quarterbacks in fantasy points per game, and uh, fourth if you exclude Dak Prescott. And the only guys ahead of him, other than Dak, are Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes. Herbert has thrown multiple touchdowns in seven straight games now, and with just one more measly passing yard, he would have an even 300-yard per game average. Are you completely sold on him, Rudy? Do you think like he's just perennially going to be among the best in the league, or are you exercising a little more caution on a judgment like that? I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, like this was his seventh straight top 10 week. Um, the monster arm, I mean, I think, I mean, he threw like a 60 yarder, like it was nothing. This, I mean, he's got good legs. I mean, that that's, I mean, I, I really think it's just um, really avoiding injuries um, is really the, the only concern. I mean, we saw it with, uh, you know, I mean, like you could argue Wentz had a, had a show to similar ceiling, not in his rookie year. He had an atrocious rookie year, but his second year he flashed. And I feel like the injuries really hit on Wentz um, and maybe are a reason for some of his regression. But I mean, yeah, I think Herbert's got like all the tools. Um, and I assume like his interception rate, which has been okay, but that, that should go down a bit with more experience. Got perfect wide receiver duo. I love like the Allen Mike Williams mix. I love having, you know, uh, a great jump ball deep guy to pair with a, an amazing uh, intermediate route runner. Um, I'm a little sore because I'm a giant fan. And uh, he went back to Oregon to play with his duckling brother instead of coming out the, the Daniel Jones draft. I, I feel like, so I'm a little sore on that. You could argue San Diego's getting back at us or the Charger franchise because we robbed them of Eli Manning and only gave him back Philip Rivers and a, a first rounder. Um, so yeah, so th- this would be like the crazy thing. I don't think it's crazy to say he could be as high as the QB two next year in redraft, let alone dynasty. I think it, it's. I'm not saying it's likely he's the QB two, but there's he's in the running. I mean, it's Mahomes. Everything's out the window now with Lamar Jackson, right? Like. Um, so take, and with Prescott hurt, I feel like the only guy that's a legit, that, that the favorite for QB two now would be Russell Wilson. I think assuming Kyler, 
You don't think Kyler? Oh man, you're right. Damn it. Um, right. So in the top four, he's a, he's suddenly. I, I think Herbert is is maybe he's going in as like right now. I'd say he's the favorite for QB four, which is crazy. Because he, I mean, like Murray's the, all about the wheels in my eyes. I don't. Um, right. And um, yeah, and and you know, I mean, so. Yeah, I think right now he's. I'd have him down as QB four, which is um, pretty crazy. It's it's it matches the ceiling everyone expected of him in like junior year. Um, but even then, there was there's a re, like we're all are rightfully skeptical of these kind of ceiling plays, you know, in 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 college, um, particularly yeah, because he isn't like maybe elite wheels, um, you know. But wow. Yeah, extremely impressed and jealous. Uh, as as Daniel Jones, my Daniel Jones, Giants Daniel Jones, really feels like um, like a third tier Justin Herbert right now, with aspirations of being like a second tier. But so it's just picturing like some like like TV show that instead of getting like the matinee TV guy, again like the matinee casting, got like a total jag and put him in its place. It's like, yeah, I guess he's good looking. Like if you look at him from a certain angle, um, but yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. So that, I don't know like, who that jag could is. be in that top five conversation next year. And, you know, maybe people, he could actually be a draft value next year. Cause people might be a little thrown by the small sample size and thinking that they're obligated to draft Kyler Murray ahead of him. And, and like Kyler's, terrific i mean he's he's not like a he's not garbage as a passer like he's i agree he's mostly about the wheels this year love his uh, deep ball oh my god i mean i'm a texas longer fan his oh, deep pretty. ball yes oh it's so wonderful like he doesn't it's just so effortless he flicks it with his wrist he he was amazing in college on that stuff um yeah no i, I yeah i'm with you on murray and and i think getting hopkins there i mean i, I was big on kyler murray this preseason and that's panned out well. And I think it's because just like hop, he, they needed a Hopkins. Kirk is not even close to a wide receiver one. Fitzgerald is five years past that. But yeah, th- their wide receiver mix is quite good. Um, and they really needed that. So yes, but I think right now QB4 is what I'm saying Herbert is for next year, which is... Right, a guy who was the third quarterback taken in this draft right i mean that's ahead of uh, watson at number four right i mean right well, yeah well, i'd probably take yeah, him right now ahead of nuts. watson uh all right rudy let's have the conversation i've been eager to have with you uh so you and i both do fantasy football rankings we both take part in the fantasy pros accuracy competition you tend to have some of the boldest rankings of anyone in the business in that competition anywhere uh and you also been very vocal about the scourge of rankings chalkiness within the industry. Uh, You wrote a very long and interesting article about it. And in that article, you set forth a modest proposal for how fantasy pros could reward boldness in the rankings accuracy competition. Uh, Basically, you have been the Don Quixote of rankings boldness, tilting at the windmills of rankings conformity. Can you summarize your stance on the value of boldness in fantasy rankings? Yeah, no, that, thanks. That was, that was a great intro. Um, you, you are a very good intro guy, by the way. 
Um, <laughs> Thank you. I, Thank I, you. I, I just got to invite you to like, if I have to, next time I have to go to a meeting, be like, oh, before I, before I join, like when they always say, oh, let's do some intros before the meeting. I'm like, I'm going to have Pat do my intro. I think that'll come off better. Just your, like your personal, yeah, your personal Michael Buffer, basically. Yep. Yep. Let's get ready to gamble. Um, the, okay. So <laughs> this would be in kind of a nutshell. So we all know, we, we understand that the, the value of being accurate, accurate in season rankings, that makes, that makes total sense. You're making smarter decisions for sit start. You're making, you know, um, you're making smarter decisions for who to get in waivers. So accuracy makes total sense. That's kind of your number one thing that you view, uh, any type of rank is in projections by. Um, to me, the value of boldness is a little more subtle. Um, but basically thinking, if the average person in your league behaves similarly to the consensus, so you call it the fantasy pro rankings, you can call it you know, the rankings in your platform, because there's generally some projections in there. Um, let's just say um, that's like the common, kind of close to common sense, the market opinion. So if your average person acts like that, Following a, the more bold the rankings means you're going to get less competition on waivers for the guys you want. You could be more aggressive in churning the bottom of your roster since you got more confidence in easily identifying weekly pickup targets. The thing about the more conservative you are as a player, the harder it is to churn on the bottom because you know that there's it's just you don't know if you'll find someone you like. Um, so, but if if you're kind of more of a gunslinger, it's like nope. Deadwood churn, and I do think a key learning for uh, a fantasy player, and, and this is any sport, but particularly baseball and football, you've got to churn the bottom of your roster really aggressively. Don't, you know, once something changes, better to move fast than to move slow. Um, so wrapped up, the everything equal among two rankings, the bolder rankings more valuable. When I say everything equal, assuming they're equally accurate, you'd rather have the bolder one. That's going to help you more in finding guys on waivers. Um, obviously, DFS it would help. It helps to find more unicorns. Um, I'd argue it's even more valuable for fantasy pros because they're taking all the. You know, if you want to come up with a more accurate ranking, you'd rather have the one that differs from what everyone else said than the one that just confirms and basically, you know, confirms what everyone else said and doesn't really change anything. So, to me, it's. It, I've and I've done polls on it. Everyone agrees everything equal. Yeah, the bolder is better. The trick's really how do you reward that? Yeah. Um and so I agree to some extent. Like when I had a top ten week earlier this year, I remember that a couple of the guys I hit on were running back. I think two of them were DJ Dallas and Wayne Gallman, who were sort of elevated I remember that week. due to injuries. Yeah, Dallas, I think, had two touchdowns, and Gallman had uh, – he might have also had two touchdowns or one yeah, touchdown. And just, I was plus on those. Those, Yeah, I did well on those two guys too. And I, I suppose there was some value to sort of having those guys ranked as like startable running backs rather than just in the, the third tier sort of outside the flex range. Um, I do agree – with boldness, and I think you're mostly talking about in-season rankings. I do think like boldness in fantasy draft rankings is a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, in, in the draft rankings, we're trying to give people an edge in their drafts, and touting undervalued players is m- one of the more virtuous things we can do with our rankings, I guess, provided we're right, of course. Um, yeah, and in general, I mean, draft rankings have a bigger impact than in-season, too. 
right? Like, I mean, like if you sure. nail a drought, um, so that that's that's fair, although. Yeah. So I, I guess when I do weekly rankings, I'm basically weighing three primary inputs, like talent level, expected usage, and defensive matchups. And maybe injury status is a fourth input for some guys. Um, you know, I look at those things, I, I weigh them, I stack the board at each position. And to the extent that I dramatically go against the grain with any individual ranking, it's mainly because I'm interpreting one of those three inputs uh, differently than other rankers are. And there are definitely times when I'm an outlier on certain guys or I'm uh, maybe an early adapter on someone I consider to be a rising player or I jump off a certain guy's bandwagon before other rankers do. Um, but I'm, I'm not virtue signaling here, but I can honestly say that I have the uh, straightforward goal of just trying to predict which players will do best and, um, you know, I know there are people out there who think that, and, and this includes some fantasy analysts who think that people try to game the fantasy pros competition. Like if there's a way to do that, I'm too stupid to figure that out. Cause like, I don't even exactly know how it's scored, you know, like I, I almost want to be kind of oblivious to that. Like ignorance is bliss. No, I, I think, I, I think that. The best analogy I could use and stick to football and not get too statty is kind of how um, is like exp- I don't know if you've seen like uh, like stats around expected accuracy or expected completion percentage for quarter. And there are some acronyms around it: completions above expected. But I think it's looking at someone like a Drew Brees. I think if you look at like a Drew Brees, his if you marked a quarterback just by completion percentage, he's incredible. Even current. Drew Brees has incredible, not even talking about peak one. And then if you look at, but, but then you realize, well, he throws more conservatively than the average quarterback. Um, and the thing is, even if you look at what was expected based on his pass mix, he's still above it. There's still a, a considerable skill to it. It's just accounting for that a bit versus, you know, to level the playing field of what would have been expected versus a guy who's just throwing a ton of deep throws like maybe like a, a Jamius Winston um, and that, you know, both happen to be saints. So that's, and that right now, I mean, basically it's as if it's just based on completion percentage. Um, so I do think it, it is a bit misaligned. I don't necessarily um, think that being bold is, is by itself a virtue. I think, I think the key thing is like, you've got to like, just, and I think it's, uh, just that my model tends to be more bold than others. It's just thinking a little differently. Some, some for the better, some for the worse. Um, but I do think it is basically if you were gonna, it's better to think of like how did you do above expe- or below, unfortunately, above or below expectations based on the chances you took, and that that's kind of a, a good prism for thinking about how I would rank analysts. So without getting too deep into the mathematics of it, what was your proposal for adjusting the scoring of the rankings accuracy contest to incentivize boldness? Right. So it was basically saying that based on how far or close you were to consensus, that helped. I could I could use that score, like how far or above, you know, what your average plus minus was to the consensus rank and your score to create an, an expected score for you. And then it's just a matter of taking your actual score 
uh, and subtracting it from your expected score. And what I found in kind of looking at it, that if you did a full risk adjustment, it feels too extreme. It does really well for me, but it didn't quite feel right because it was basically saying accuracy and boldness are equal. And I don't think that's really what, when, when I think people would say that everything equal, boldness is more important. Um, what I did is basically created like a, what I call like half risk adjusted. So basically how accurate you are counts twice. And then your, how well you did against your um, expected score counts once. And those rankings to me looked really good. It, it felt like it was a, a true, a, a good compromise, a good proxy of what I think, um, you know, people would generally value rankings at. And that when I look at like, I mean, here's a good example. So the top 20 analysts, if so thinking on percentiles from a hundredth, hundredth percentile, meaning you're the boldest ranker and one being like the, the lowest ranker in percentiles. What do you think's like the median for like the top 20, right? I don't know if I even have a good guess. Tell me. 18th percentile. And this is the, and it's. Oh, wow. Really? And it's, it's, that's what it is for 2020. And that's what it was for 2019 full season. So it's not saying that it should be 50th percentile. I'll admit, I mean, like when I look at the data, those on the far end of boldness tend to be pretty um, poor. They're, they're worse than average, um, everything adjusted for. So I'm not saying 50th percentile, but 18th percentile is really low, really conservative. Um, for the sake of this, you're, you tend to be in the 20th to 30th percentile. So among your cohort, you're a little bolder. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that I think the challenge is I'm not, I mean, people like uh, yourself, like uh, John Paulson, I mean, I know what you guys do. I, I have tons of respect for you. Um, I do not, you know, it's the, um, the challenge of the way, like this is behind the scenes, but like you start from the consensus. <laughs> so it's so much easier to just basically move a couple guys and, um, you know, so it, it, there's, there's a frustration that it's it's easier, it's safer, and the system kind of rewards it. Um, so yeah, I feel like it should be. I think I think that the the model I proposed, um, I think, better adjusts for things, and it, and it typically means like the guy who's number one in accuracy um, on today's thing is still usually like in the top five. It's not that wild. Um, but you will see you will see guys that um, you know if you finish like if you're really bold and you finish thirtieth you're going to be in the top ten because that's so hard to do um, and um, yeah I mean like I think yeah like so la yeah there hasn't been a, someone who's won twice in a row based on this in the last three I was number one like th- in 2017 last year was uh, Chris Raybon the year before that was Dalton Del Don um, but I do think um, but what I think when you if you get into the math and I have it's like it ends up being like pretty much close to that thing of like well if it's really close and someone's demonstrably bolder that person should be ahead if it's not demonstrably close then no um, so we'll see I'll, lo- I'll lobby again to- with the, I'll lobby again with them uh, <laughs> at the end of this year. Uh, and hats off to Raybon because I I know he like he shows really well in that uh, adjusted model that you do, and he also shows up well in the real rankings. Uh, and and Chris Raybon also passed 
guest on the show. Um, he, he is definitely outside the, he is one of the least chalky rankers. Like he goes, uh, all in or, or, you know, full fade on guys pretty often. And, uh, you know, to be as spot on with some of those as he is, is, is to his credit. And, and just to clarify one thing you mentioned earlier, Rudy, uh, when you said, a lot of rankers do start, we rank with this fantasy pros rankings engine that they give us. And when you start the rankings for a new week, they give you two options. Start with your rankings from last week, in which case that is like how it appears. And then you move guys around from there or start with the expert consensus. Uh, I do start with my own rankings from the previous week just because I do them early. I do them on mo- yeah, I, I do them on Monday, so there really is no expert consensus. At that See, point. I don't do that so, because, um, like, the, because of bye and, weeks and stuff and injuries. Yeah, that I do have to manually insert the guys who were on bye the previous week, which is a pain. But I, part of it is that, like I want to be free of that bias. Also, like I don't want to see where other people have stuff. Um, right. It, it's 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 a huge gravitational pull. I mean, I, I try to use it. I mean, I'm trying. My first and foremost thing is is trying to come up with the the most valuable projections for our subscribers. Um, so I'm using that pull in a good way and basically saying, you know, did I are the assumptions I made right? And so it's it's really helpful for me to go through the process. And I think year over year, I t- I'm I'm moving very slightly toward the consensus. Um, not, I'm still like 95th percentile in terms of boldness, but it's it's just looking to make those player by those occasional player tweaks, um, you know, and that yeah, the assumptions could be wrong, and that's why it feels like yeah, every year I feel like there's a little bit more manual to the the process for me um, to correct for some of the week to week changes. I do like that you're doing this though, uh, and I I think it is something worth highlighting and like. Um, I would be curious if you ever got like a uh, response from the the fantasy pros guys to that. I will say they're great. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, just like an ESPN fantasy pros gets a lot of flack. Um, And I'm, I'm not going to necessarily defend them on, on, on some of the things, not attacking. I'm just saying that's not, I'm not going to be the role of, (laughs) of that. They could do that. But um, no, I, I have, I feel like they've uh, they they make it real easy for us to do the rankings. Um, it's transparent in terms of what the transaction is. You could argue maybe the transaction should be different <laughs> um, in terms of what you should get for doing the rankings, but it's transparent, so everyone has free choice if they want to do it or not. Um, and they are open to feedback. So I, I I've I've always gotten a response. And maybe not always the response I want, but, but yeah, in this day and age, there, there's definitely f- this feeling that you're, it's frustrating to not be heard. And I, I definitely feel like I've been heard. So that's cool. Yeah. They are a good outfit and they have some really good people over there. Uh, you know, they have some gentlemen at that site, much appreciation of what they do and, and allowing, I mean, my God, I used to do weekly rankings, like manually typing out guys one line at a time that sucked. So thank you fantasy pros for the rankings engine. Really appreciate it. Um, Rudy, I know I have to let you go back to the stat mines pretty soon to do more work. Uh, just a few quick subjects I want to touch on with you really fast talking about rankings and projections. Who were some of your biggest hits this year? guys that you have been uh, 
made good calls on preseason. Number one is definitely Terry McLaurin. I mean, I think I had him in the top six wide receivers. Um, and I felt weird about it because I didn't like, uh, you know, I mean, because I felt like Haskins had tremendously, uh, tremendous variance in his outcomes. Um, and he did hit one of them. Uh, but I was really big on McLaurin. I think he's going to end up doing really well. Um, I mean, Kyler Murray was a guy I targeted, um, but I don't think I was tremendously off from consensus there. I mean, he was a kind of a QB four versus QB six guy. Yeah. McLaurin was a great um, one. I mean, it, it was hard to be all in with the, uh, infrastructure, maybe as shaky as that was. Well, I don't know. I mean, it was good that he was clearly going to be the alpha target, but to not have the quarterback you could trust. Uh, what about some of your bigger misses? I mean, the one the one that kind of hurts the most, and and I, and I was looking recently, is is Metcalf and Lockett. Um, I'll I'll take the loss on it. I did not see the the let Russ cook era happening. I didn't see it. <laughs> I don't think anyone did per se. But the I mean the basically on on the kind of the way I look at models and guys that tend to always be below tend to be very touchdown dependent, big play dependent guys. Right now, I think the best example would be like a, a Chase Claypool, where it's like guys doing great, but it's really hard to sustain things. Or like an AJ Brown, um, but when the big plays seem to happen week to week, it's it's re- and that that's to me was uh, Metcalf last year, but this year now you're adding volume, and yeah, volume plus big plays is like huge. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're their ceiling was so much higher if, if you factor them as a 60% pass team or 60 plus percent pass team versus closer to 50% where they had been. Um, so kudos to the Seattle franchise for doing that. Um, but definitely made me look like an idiot. Uh, two rookie running backs, JK Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor had very encouraging week 11 showings. How optimistic are you about these two guys for the stretch run? of the fantasy season. I mean, more on Dobbins because the reality is like, I mean, Edwards is a really good runner. Um, you know, he, he, I mean, based on mo- any type of stats, Ingram, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's a bit in the doghouse and that Dob, I don't know if there's anything Ingram does that Dobbins can't. Um, so I can see them running with Dobbins and then, you know, like a, a and Edwards coming in, you know, if they, if they were to run up a lead, which has not been the case much this year. Um, with Taylor, I mean, it's, I'm not super worried about Wilkins um, on a week-to-week basis after their decision this week. It's Hines. There's no reason not to, like, dial up Hines for certain matchups. Um, I mean, he was wonderful two weeks ago. Um, so I feel like, you know, depending on game script, I don't see why um, – I, I feel like Taylor's usage could really vary. I think the only case now is that I'd knock down Wilkins an extra an extra level to be like truly kind of like a wide receiver uh, – the third guy in that mix where it felt like for a while it was like a triumvirate. Right, but even that would make it easy if it was more of like a 40-40-20 split than a, a 33 three ways. It, it's certainly an improvement. It's certainly an improvement on Taylor. Um, I'm just saying, like, when I look at the ceiling on it, it's like, it all depends on what they're going to do that day. 
And I mean, Rivers has had two good passing days in a passing weeks in a row. Um, Reich, Reich does like to pass. Um, so, you know, depending on the game, I could, I, I think hit Taylor is more week to week dependent right now. There's the potential that Dobbins is, uh, you know, a 50% plus snap guy rest of year. Um, and while Lamar, Lamar makes it a little less intriguing, you know, he, he'll, he'll vulture some runs and vulture some, uh, red zone runs in particular. I'd be, I'm a little more bullish on Dobbins going forward. Who knows? <laughs> Go into 2021. That's a whole nother story. But right now I'd be a little bit more, I'm a little more intrigued by, uh, by Dobbins. Cause I don't think he's going to get screwed quite the same amount as, as another spike Naheem Hines week, which should happen. It's, it's a, you know, based on the way he's, he's been this year. I kind of agree. I mean, I think Hines is a bigger threat to Taylor's workload than either Ingram or Gus Edwards would be to Dobbins. So that makes total sense. Uh, one last thing, Rudy, are we justified in having rekindled hope for Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, uh, CeeDee Lamb, perhaps others in this Dallas offense after a good showing against Minnesota in week 11? Or do you write it off because it's Minnesota? Yeah, I think it's because it's Minnesota. I mean, I, I think... I mean, it's, it's, it's just pretty sad what's happened. I mean, to that team, I'm not sad as a giant fan or, you know, they're the Cowboys, but um, it would have been nice to see how Prescott could have done there. It really was primed to be a a great offense. They showed greatness um, in volume and (laughs) rates uh, in those first few weeks. But um, no, I just don't, I I don't see it. I, I still think you have that issue of, you have three wide receivers to feed, um, in in a not in a in a meh passing offense that's not going to score a lot. With Zeke, I still feel like you've got that burden of you still have Pollard hanging around, but um, certainly this week was was a little bit more out of Zeke Elliott. I just I, ideally with Zeke, you're having him and Pollard have the relationship that right now Dalvin Cook and Madison have, and I feel and. And the thing is, one, you know, like it's it's really hard to predict that in the preseason. But at a certain point, you kind of look at it and be like, well, I, I honestly, Pollard's better than Madison, and Dalvin's better. <laughs> um, I think if Dallas was doing themselves a service, they'd be giving Pollard a little bit more time and start thinking about, you know, the possibilities of cutting Zeke because it's the salary cap's not going to get better for them. Um, I don't know what his dead money situation is. Um, but I imagine Zeke's is better than, let's say, Carson Wentz, which is – guess how much – do you know what the dead money hit is? Do you know what his dead money hit is on 2021? Oh, good Lord, what? It's uh, – let me see if I, I got to find it. I think it's um, $59 million. It's oh $59 million. <laughs> I got that from an excellent article. Uh, just a shout out to Benjamin Solak and Bleeding Greed Nation. Um, and he writes for so, – uh, draft network but he wrote a piece on the eagles and wow it is it is it was wonderful to read as a giant um i mean do you think that do you think that number locks him in as the starter do you think there's any chance they bench so no chance they go to jalen hurts even if wentz continues to play like this he has to get hurt and i don't even i i mean no they're so screwed they have to just hope there's like a dead cat bounce in 2021 with him um i also and you know 
as a like I said, so I, as a Longhorn fan, I saw Mayfield, then Murray, then Hurts, and they all hurt the Longhorn defense in different ways. Um, I could say with pretty pretty confidently that Hurts is not the answer. I see him as like a purely a backup quarterback uh, in the NFL whose legs make him just dangerous enough to beat you. Basically, you know, you know who I think Jalen Hurts is kind of like Jeff Driscoll. <laughs> um, and which is like, see, I mean, try to, he was not a great, I mean, it was hats off to Lincoln Riley on designing an offense for him. And I mean, Hertz did so well in Alabama, um, you know, in, in certain games. Um, but as an NFL quarterback, I don't, I don't see it. Um, so I think you're, uh, you're stuck with, I mean, even in 2022, Wentz has a $24 million hit. It's, it's just brutal. Um, for Philly right now, I think you just gotta, I mean, I imagine they draft another first round offensive lineman and just hope that, you know, give that guy time because, you know, I mean, I think we, I saw it as a giant fan with Eli going to Daniel Jones that it's like, if you're a average quarterback, which is sounds like a ding on Wentz, but I think at this point calling him an average quarterback is a compliment. Um, if you're an average quarterback, you're so dependent on having the infrastructure around you and Wentz look, and I, I don't think Wentz can prosper in a below average offensive line, below average wide receivers. He was fine, <laughs> but man, it screws up your, it screws up your, um, internal meter. Um, it happened with Eli. Um, I'm afraid it's happened with Daniel Jones. It's happened with once where basically everything speeds up. You, um, you panic, you're more likely to, you know, throw it too early, throw, you know, not get, not go through your progressions, run out of the pocket, do all this stuff. Um, and it's, it's crazy though. It happened so quickly with once, but I think it, it, that's just, but where I feel like, yeah, like I'm a Holmes a Rodgers, I don't think, and um, those guys would have been as impacted by a, a an offensive line falling apart like that. Um, but it happened with Eli Manning, um, and maybe Eli Manning didn't have a year quite as good as Carson Wentz had that twelve game stretch. But unfortunately, that's that's where he is. That's you know, Jared Goff is in there. That's the crazy thing with with Herbert that I feel like you know. I don't know if Joe Burrow is outside the golf went zone, which is give him a great infrastructure. He could be a above average quarterback. Herbert might be out. Herbert right now is showing signs. He's outside that zone. <laughs> um, and the, and I mean, I feel like Mahomes is there. I don't think Kyler Murray's there. Cause Ky- I, I think you take away Hopkins out of that offense. I don't think, I think, I don't think Kyler Murray's quite there. That's the, it's uh yeah, it's an interesting, right. The ability of which guys can function without the, the good ecosystem and which guys can. And I mean, I guess Eagles fans can fall back on the hope that if they get Andre Dillard back healthy and draft Alex Leatherwood or one of these other top offensive line prospects, that maybe that's enough to stabilize things. And cause God knows that offensive line has been just a, a revolving door of, shittiness all season but um yeah they they need that yep and i mean we saw like i felt like 
another shout out for uh, Dak Prescott. I mean, their offensive line was not good this year. Um, right. You know, Pre- Even Prescott had an amazing Prescott had like um, a little bit like a Rothless Bergian start where he had a great infrastructure. He didn't, he just, he didn't have to do too much and he prospered. And I mean, I'd say like his progression was perfect that he started with a real safe surroundings and then his role kept expanding over time, which happened with Rosslesberger as well. Um, and he showed he could succeed in a granted amazing wide receiver trio, but still shitty offensive line. And you see how, how bad it, it's gotten with Dalton. Um, so yeah, I, I do think, I do think that, that the ecosystem is, is huge and that's what we've learned on Wentz. And yeah, it's probably going to, once you once you play at this level, it's really really hard to come back. I mean, you could you could argue Rogers dipped into league average area. I know that's a bit sacrilegious in your neck of the woods. No, to no, say. no. I I acknowledge it. I fully acknowledge it. It's it's true. And you know, it was fair to wonder whether he had slipped to a, a league average level. And it, it it guts me to say that that was my biggest mistake in um, Scott Fishbowl. I took Devonta Adams second, and I took Wentz over Rogers, and I I was doubting it, you know, di- like the next day, and wow, did that crush me! <laughs> wow, <laughs> that that scoring system's even worse. That scoring system like takes points off for sacks. It's like between the sacks and yes. interceptions, like Carson Wentz uh, does it throws up like we get, three point game. nailed for sacks in that. Oh my god, I, I, I played. I, I'm playing a a bad team this week, and they had. They had um, Carr on the bench, Herbert, and um, and another QB that did great. And I had Carson Wentz throw three, <laughs> throw a three point game, and they're throwing <laughs> thirty point games. It's like, oh my god, yeah. Now Carson Wentz, I guarantee the average Carson Wentz team will go like, will have like a win percentage under forty percent in Scott Fishbowl. <laughs> It's, I would it's think so. so. Yeah, awful. <laughs> Worse than Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. Ah, he, he's a he's he's still a sophomore. Eh, give him a little toss of the hair. He's, you know, th- that he'll, you, you'll maybe gain a clue in your facial expression. But oh, the Carson Wentz. Ah, it, it's ruined all the joy of being a Giant fan seeing an Eagle quarterback suck it. Um. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, Rudy, this was fun. I need one last thing from you since this is Thanksgiving week. Give me your hierarchy of Thanksgiving side dishes. Number one with a, by far is give me sweet potatoes, uh, like mash up sweet potatoes with some marshmallow. Um, after that, it's everything all pales for me compared to that. You know, certain types of stuffing can get up to number two, like not stovetop, like the ones with the big chunks of bread in it. That that I like as kind of a savory counterpart. Um, give me, you know, cranberry sauce. The rolls kind of come in there. I don't really need mashed potatoes. That's sweet potatoes beat it. So get get that stuff out of there. Um, and I think that's about where I'm at. I, I mean, all the other. I'm trying to. Where are you on the sides? So I'm a big stuffing guy. We've got like the the real classic, like not the stovetop stuff, like you know where my my mom is like hand mixing the the breadcrumbs with like the the real organ turkey organ stuff. Like you know, it's 
sounds horrible if uh, to like eighty percent of the people and my own family is appalled by it. But like uh, my cousins and I who grew up with this are like you know stabbing each other with forks to get so the last like turkey gizzards and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, like the real stuff. So that's, that's, that's way up there. I'm with you. Oh f f a l. But I'm with you. It is man. So it's stuffing true. stuffing ceiling is two. I feel like. If it's, I, I had a really good stuffing last year. We'll see where, yeah, we're getting, we're getting it catered from a local restaurant. We'll see how they're stuffing it. Um, nice. But I, I hear you on that. With the you stuffing, on the sweet potatoes, man. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, when if you do it right, um, but yeah, yeah. I feel like it gives you it gives you just enough sweetness. There's way, just you know, there's a if you um, you could mash in a little banana into a sweet potato. It sounds crazy. But it is actually quite, quite good. I don't, I'm not saying I, I recommend it every time you make sweet potatoes, but it, it's surprisingly good, especially if you don't That's do marshmallow. Interesting. So we're like we're a big sweet potato family for sure, and uh, you know we normally do this with my mom and stepdad, big extended family. We're not doing that this year. It's just going to be the nuclear family, and my daughter is like, Same here. yeah, we're adding marshmallows to the sweet potatoes this year. Like my got- mom never does, but my daughter's oh. like, we're doing marshmallows. It, it, yeah, I, I do think, yeah, I think the marshmallow, and I only would do that for Thanksgiving. Um, cause you're already getting, you're already getting me in a coma, so it's fine. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. but, uh, yes, uh, but I will say like, yeah, on a, on a non thing, like every third or fourth time mash in a banana in the sweet potato, just try it and you can let me Interesting, know. Interesting, like. man. I will do that. We will give that a shot. We're going to have to. Uh, potassium's, Rudy, potassium's before, you go, <laughs> before you go, Rudy, uh, can you let people know where they can find you and your work? And of course, feel free to promote anything that listeners might find especially worthwhile. Yeah. No, um, you know, on Twitter, I'm at Rudy Gamble. I'm on that a decent amount. Um, I don't write a lot because um, I'm behind all the projects. So every projection you see on the Rasball player pages is, is, is from me and the bots that I run. So uh, yeah, if you subscribe for, yeah, you could do a free trial on football. Um, so you could check it out, see the projections weekly, rest of the season, um, you know, um, basically I'm projecting every stat. And I think, you know, so I think, and it includes IDP. So yeah, I think some good stuff there. Um, yeah. Baseball will be coming soon enough. Um, yeah. So we'll have the baseball weekly projections, which yeah, imagine, having weekly projections in baseball like you do for football. That's what we have. Um, so that's huge. Um, and basketball is going and basketball is going to be coming up so that we're going to have those project daily and weekly projections available soon too. So yeah, I've got to get into a cave at some point and do basketball preseason basketball and preseason major league. So that, yeah, it's a, uh, be a crazy December. Rudy, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join me. This was a lot of fun, man. I could have done this for uh, three hours with you. No, yeah, this this was a blast. Yeah, def- yeah, yeah. Next time we'll do a, a three hour tour during crazy during a less crazy time. And that is going to do it for this week's show. Let me give one last thank you to my guest, Rudy Gamble of Rasball. Find him on Twitter at Rudy Gamble, and be sure to check out Rasball.com. And since this is a week of giving thanks. Let me roll out a list of the people I am thankful to, at least as far as this podcast goes. I am incredibly grateful to my producer, Calm Kelly, for the fine work he does. He also happens to be a good friend and one of the nicest, 
most genuine people in the fantasy biz. Thank you, Calm. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Another person I am thankful to have as both a colleague and a friend is Melissa Jacobs, owner and operator of thefootballgirl.com. She makes it possible for me to put out my fantasy football content, uh, to put it into the public sphere, and she has helped me do that in myriad ways. Melissa is a goddess, and I can't thank her enough. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. Thank you to my friends from the band International Jet Set for the music, especially singer Dan Fernandez and drummer Jeff Carpenter, my good buddies. And of course, I'm very thankful to you, dear listener. Thank you for your time and your support. It means the world to me. And hey, special thanks to all the medical workers, first responders, essential workers. Uh, Your incredible efforts are very much appreciated in this trying year. I also want to say just how thankful I am to everyone who has gone out of their way this year to spread love in the world, do good deeds, uh, help friends, neighbors, even total strangers. Among the many bad aspects of 2020 is that it's underscored just how many shitty people there are out there. Uh, America hasn't exactly come together during COVID-19. Some people act in their own interests and don't give a damn about anyone else. For those of you who do give a damn about everyone else, thank you. And hey, I know 2020 has been a raging tire fire of a year in so many ways. Uh, And for many of us, the circumstances aren't going to be ideal for Thanksgiving this week. Hang in there, friends. Even if you aren't going to be with all of the loved ones you would normally be with, Uh, Even if it's just you and your partner, even if it's just you alone with a turkey sub or a frozen pizza for Thanksgiving dinner, I sincerely hope you enjoy the holiday and are able to make the best of it. All right, everyone, that's it. Talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. I got a head.